Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. session next week before the Christmas holidays. We have special guests joining us from uh, Gilbert Patterson uh, School. We have handbells from 1145 until noon, so come early to enjoy the festive music. And also the choir will perform during the lunch period. So uh, extra special thanks to Gilbert Patterson. The topic, ne- the topic next week is how do we save the earth? pretty modest topic um and the speaker will be lauren fitch so uh definitely come back next week same time for that um before we get started just a few more things to note this this and other talks are available on the sacpaw website you can listen listen to them in audio there's also a uh, comment section where you can keep the discussion going as well as a suggestion box out in the hallway uh, as I mentioned before, SACPAW is a not-for-profit organization that relies on the generous support of our members and attendees. And if you would like to become a member or renew your membership, uh, Lisa is available to help you with that. <clears throat> I'll open up the floor for questions. The microphone is here in the center of the room. Please stay State your name, keep your comments br- brief, and you may uh, return to your seat once you've asked your question. So with that, I'll invite Josephine Mills and Bruce McKay back to the podium to field your questions. Uh, thanks very much for uh, your addresses today. There are lots of interesting things there. My name's Austin Fennell, and I'd like to know what you think the consequences will be if there is little or only a, a small amount of liberal education within the university? <laughs> Consequences of a small amount of liberal education at the university. Well, I think uh, the danger would be that education, university education would come to be seen um, more as training. Training for work, training for um, a job of some kind, perhaps some specialist training uh, in professional uh, um, capacities, education maybe, um, management. But the danger of that specialized training then is that um, graduates who went on into the workforce would be... um, challenge to see beyond the what they had been trained to do. Um, a number of years ago, <clears throat> I did a survey of um, graduates of the University of Lethbridge. I sent a number of questions about liberal education out to graduates through the Alumni uh, um, Association. And uh, one of the most interesting responses I received back was from a graduate from the Faculty of Management with a degree in accounting. And I thought, boy, that's a pretty narrow training degree. And he described, I assume he, he was working for an oil company in Calgary, uh, a, a, a sort of a, a lead accountant on a team of accountants. And he said at the time that he was going through the university and having to take his liberal education requirements, his breadth courses, 
he thought those courses were a waste of time. But he said, now, in my capacity as an accountant for this oil firm, I can sure tell when someone doesn't have a liberal education because they cannot think out of the narrow box that they have been trained in. And he said, being able to think more broadly, make connections, being able to innovate and generate new ideas outside of that box of training is crucial for success in the business world. So <clears throat> if you don't have a liberal education, you'll f be challenged to do that. Thanks very much for coming to talk about this important thing. Uh, money is at the root of all evil. And uh, do you think uh, the fact that funding from, uh, official funding from the, from the government sources and stuff like that uh, being uh, less than what it used to be and relying more on corporate funding for, especially for anything new to be built. Do you think that puts restrictions on the ability uh, to have a liberal education program at universities? Um, well, certainly, I mean, when I talked about the advantage of being at a university gallery, um, thinking more compared to other, both compared to things that aren't art galleries, but then also public galleries that aren't at universities. So basically from the, uh, the, the cuts to you know, all of the public sector in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, so up until that time, about up to the late 80s, public galleries in Canada had usually at least 90 or, or more than 90% of their funding came from uh, tax-derived sources, so federally, provincially, and potentially locally as well. And what's happened now, you'll see that most public galleries are at around 60% is grant-derived funding, and sometimes even less, like much less than that. But that a significant portion is uh, corporate sponsorship and then uh, uh, fundraising, so doing things with donors and fundraising events, and then renting out their facilities so, and earn, earned revenue and admissions and things like that. So I think that in terms of being within a university framework, even if the overall there's pressures on the university and funding cuts to the university, part of the reason that one can do exhibitions on things like genocide and feminist exhibitions is that we don't have to have corporate sponsorship for it and uh, so that we're, we're able to do it in more of that kind of arm's length kind of funding that fits under a small L liberal kind of uh, arm's length, that kind of discourse. So certainly for art galleries, I think the, the pressures around um, the, you know, where the funding comes from significantly affects the kind of programming you're able to do. And then for the art gallery to, you know, justify its existence is basically how it supports the university in doing that. And so in terms of the bigger picture of the university, I don't know if you want to ans answer that. And okay. So a few thoughts. Um, I think, yes, the funding realities are and conceivably into the future will, for a while, will be that the public purse will be tighter. But I think that uh, provides um, another opportunity for us to argue about the value of what a liberal education offers to a wider sector, to the business sector. Um, a colleague um, from um, um, 
Political Science sent me an article uh, from Forbes magazine, um, which is one of the premier business magazines published, which uh, had a short uh, list of ten, the top ten things you needed to succeed in the job market. Okay, and this was aimed at, at recent undergraduates. And here are the ten things. Critical thinking, complex problem solving, judgment and decision making, active, li active uh, listening, self-assessment and monitoring, mathematics, operations and systems analysis. Okay, those seven are all things that are taught in a liberal education. The last three, computer and electronic skills, programming, sales and marketing, those things are not necessarily taught in a liberal education, are more specialized. But so one of the top business magazines in uh, publishing wants people with a liberal education. So we need to make that argument to um, those who want to fund us. Uh, my name is Mary Shillington. Thank you for, uh, for getting us thinking in a different way. Um, as you say, SACPA does a lot of that anyway. Uh, my concern is I asked at our table of eight how many people had been to see any recent displays at the art gallery. And nobody had. Well, one had. Uh, the other person had seen a long time ago. And even as, uh, uh, as a grad from U of C uh, in the social work program, I saw some of the things there, but I didn't take time to stop and look at them. So that's a concern if you uh, are trying to appeal to more than the university people. And so my question is, how are you doing that? Uh, this recent d display sounds very interesting. Nobody at the table knew about it uh, and hadn't been there. So what are your steps? How are you doing that? And how could you do it better? Because it sounds like you're not doing it quite well enough. Well, I mean, part of the problem is the, uh, I mean, I grew up in Saskatoon where no one ever mentioned that it was incredibly difficult to drive across the bridge to get to university, whereas in Lethbridge it seems to be like 100 miles to drive across the bridge and get to the university. Uh, so <laughs> there, there is the reality of geography. Um, but uh, we, I mean, the, the obviously there's a lot of engagement on campus and then with people who regularly come to campus anyway. So part of what we've done is, for several years now, we're open one Saturday a month. Uh, so we do Culture Vulture Saturdays. There's a hands-on activity. And we actually kind of like breadcrumbs. We have signs up in the sport building with people who happen to be on campus anyway. And we lure them to come all the way along to the art gallery. And, and it, does, it does work. Uh, and we're open late on Thursday nights. So for people who are coming, especially for lectures and concerts and plays that will happen, but, uh, I mean, we, we have to deal with the reality of the fact that it's kind of a nuisance to park and then walk a considerable distance to get anywhere from parking on to campus. It's the reality of university art galleries. You pretty much all face the same problem, which is the building is somewhere located well into campus. And if you're not in the habit of coming to campus or don't have another reason. So, I mean, we've focused on drawing people who are on campus anyway but don't necessarily come to the gallery. Uh, we've also been doing public site projects and um, and performances outside of the gallery so that they happen in other locations. Uh, so people kind of basically come across them rather than that they deliberately come looking for them, but they encounter it, might not even know that it was a, in fact an art project is what they 
saw or participated, participated in. But it basically, it is a big issue. And we're also, even the campus itself has grown. There's now people who are in the science buildings and things like that and don't even come down to University Hall and Center for the Arts. So um, the reality of the growth of the university and uh, it's something that we're, we're just, you know, keep trying to work on. And it is incredibly frustrating and difficult to do promotion for art galleries uh, because if you try to promote the content of it, if you say we have a new exhibition, people are just like, eh, they have another exhibition, they're an art gallery, that's what they do. And there's so few venues for doing um, promotion within Lethbridge that uh, it's difficult to get attention for any, any one thing. So I guess it's a, a work in progress. Hi, I'm Bev from Delabrystone. Thank you very much. Um, certainly, we are an actively and socially engaged group. And um, just to tell you right now at noon, while you're giving your talk, there is a rally at City Hall on the omnibus, omnibus bill before Parliament, although Parliament has stopped. Um, so your question was, how would you involve more students in social change? And I just want to let you know that SACPA ha uh, deals with that exact same question. And what we've been doing for the past five years, I think is having a sock pond campus where we have uh, student speakers and we're going to be doing that in February, a week long in the noon hour at the atrium and having them speak on exactly these kinds of issues. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to hear about the social engagement that you're doing at the gallery. I think that's very exciting. Um, I'll tell you some of the things I'd like to see. I'd like to see uh, exhi exhibits on global warming or the polar bear drowning in the Arctic seas. I'd like to see an exhibit on fracking. Um, I'd like to see an exhibit on the blowouts from one well to another. I'd like to see an exhibit on loss of habitat and loss of species, um, as well as um, um, the request for uh, an exhibit on the, the whole issue of the pipelines. and. Um, an exhibit on all the animals sinking in the swamps of oil going out to the pristine uh, Queen Charlotte's. So I think these would be beautiful. And how can you get students involved? Instead of bringing in hotshot big name artists, use artists, use budding artists in the art programs at the U of L and have those students come up with their bright young ideas and have a place to use their social consciousness and uh, get them involved. So I would question you, what are you doing along these lines? Thank you. Um, well, the, the, I mean, the thing that I didn't really talk about is we have extensive student internships uh, through the University Art Gallery. And I'm hoping that they, I mean, we, we were talking at our table, but it, the problems about having students from outside of fine arts be able to take, because I'm in fine arts in my own little silo. But, uh, so we have interns that curate exhibitions. Uh, they work the GALT, the SAG, uh, work uh, with the University of Lethbridge. So that we have lots of bright young people and they often end up continuing to work for us for a little while afterwards. Um, and then have done very well and gone off to work in other art galleries and, and other things. So the one big involvement is to have future curators and public programmers uh, working for us. And then the art gallery does a student exhibition each year. So we bring in a, a curator. 
who doesn't know their work and uh, curates, gives them professional development and experience, so we present that. And then the benefit that they have from, I mean, Rita McCoe is an amazing artist, the artist who did uh, The Lion's Share. Uh, she teaches at the Alberta College of Art and Design, and she's also taught in, at NASCAD in, in uh, Nova Scotia. So they get to work with those artists and, and uh, help them install their exhibitions. And same as at Southern Alberta Art Gallery, they also can volunteer and, and work with the big hotshot internationally known artists so that they really learn the skills of how did these people become uh, successful and so that it is a huge benefit when we bring in um, the people that are, uh, that are so successful as artists and they get to see their work firsthand but they also get to hear them speak in their classes and, uh, and work with them. So, I mean, it definitely engages. The, one of the huge advantages in Lethbridge is that students who are keen can have really in-depth experience of through volunteering and, and internships and paid employment. When I was at the Vancouver Art Gallery, I tell students this all the time, people would apply to volunteer and less than half the people who applied would even get to volunteer and then the kind of volunteering they would be doing was like in the gift shop. So whereas in Lethbridge you can actually work in collections, you can work with art artists installing and those students get amazing experience uh, from that. Yeah, th and thanks Bev for mentioning the SACPA on campus because that's a, that's a wonderful project and uh, uh, I think it was the first year or second year, I had a student who had taken a number of liberal education courses and, and was tutoring um, in our uh, first level course who ended up winning the competition that year. And, and uh, I just heard from her recently and she's teaching English in China for a while, which is wonderful. So um, kind of echoing what Josie says, there are lots of opportunities, and I, but I agree that we need to push that more or, or, or think a little less about teaching at the university as involving standing in front of a class and blah, 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 talking, and thinking more about how we can teach by getting students involved in things. And that's certainly one of the my um, plans with the course I'll be doing on activism, is that I hope, well, more than hope, I, the students will be involved in act, some kind of activism at some level. Um, whether it's a protest in front of City Hall or whether it's volunteering or whether it's uh, writing <clears throat> some letters or, or something, right? At some level, they'll be involved. And, and the only way they can really get the benefit of learning about that is through the experience of doing it with some support and guidance. So that's, that's the aim. But thanks. I'm Everett Donalds from Pritchibute. Thank you for your interesting topic. Education. It's a wonderful thing to learn all about life and what other people do. Um, I believe I, you know, you go back 30 years ago, a grade 12 education would give you sustainable living. Today, we have raised the bar for people here that you have to have four years or six years post, uh, actually, uh, you have six or four years more education. I believe that it should be financed the same way as the grade 12. Why are our students not protesting in the street like they do in Quebec? <laughs> what is it? Are we teaching our students different than we do in Quebec? Or is it the government that has pacified the minds of professors and students as well because we have no, well, freedom after speech is questionable if it exists. 
I leave that up to the audience to decide. I have some experience myself. So what is it? I give you the option to believe in the government, but maybe we're teaching them something different, that they don't become active. Because passive, you know, people that go with, oh, sorry, people that go with the flow, even that fiscal with the flow past the university. Thank you. Okay, I'll start. Um, thanks very much. I, I agree I, most, I think, with what you say. Um, I think, um, the <clears throat> unfortunately, through the much of the public school system, students um, are fed, a, maybe not necessarily a particular uh, political or economic philosophy, although I think it's certainly there, but whatever they're fed, they're taught, and they learn very well that their job is to passively receive it. And um, personally, I think uh, standardized testing for all the sort of equality it is supposed to um, uh, be able to, or, or that it assumes, um, I think it, it means teaching to the test. I think students learn only what they need to learn for the test, and it results in many students passively sitting there, tell me what I need to know, I'll learn that and re regurgitate it in the appropriate format at the right time, and I've learned. But that's not learning, and my f I find my biggest job with first-year students at the university is to disabuse them of that notion of learning as just sitting quietly, hearing, receiving passively information that's fed to them. I really want them to think, and I want to know what they think, and I want to begin to engage in a dialogue I want them to be able to ask questions like you're asking questions and to be able to offer answers on their own, to think about things. Um, so, and not all of, all of my colleagues would agree with that approach. Some of my colleagues at the university uh, would much prefer to be emphasizing or doing, focusing the majority of their time on their own research. Um, teaching especially large classes, uh, once you get over 100 once you get over 50, but classes of 200, 250, um, it's very difficult to engage in any sort of meaningful dialogue and questions, and so it ends up being a multiple choice kind of exam, and students can very easily sit at the back and hide, fall asleep, text, or Facebook, or do whatever they like to do without really necessarily learning anything at all. Um, and I think that's a real mistake um, in the long term of the kind that you, you suggest. Because the result is then students don't graduate or they may not graduate with the ability to say or to ask a good question and, the, and then to offer, well, this is what I think and here are the reasons why, uh, to participate in something like SACPA. They'd be scared spitless, right, and not have a clue how to do it. So um, I think, you know, the, if we, the more we can get away with that, get away from that kind of teaching, the better. That's my view. Yeah, and our, our whole, our group, I mean, we, we keep talking about the whole, that issue of the passive teaching and that the students actually get really annoyed at you when you don't. They'll just be like, couldn't you just put that on a PowerPoint or, you know, can't you just give me a handout what's going to be on the test? That when you know, in terms of teaching, if I do things like ask them to pose the questions and, you know, tell them that there isn't one right answer, 
that uh, they're so wanting to just settle in because that's what they've done through the school system and they just want to keep doing that. So, I mean, a lot of what we're trying to do is the, the in terms of the course that Bruce will teach and all the other activity is to help sort of generate that idea of a spark within each person of being active instead of being passive so that they're actually feel that they're interested in and then feel empowered to ask questions and set things for themselves. And certainly, again, to come back to the internships, I do something, I start, I'll have another round of interns that start in January, and I drive them insane by telling them they have to set their own goals for the course. I'm not going to tell them what the goals are up front. I mean, I then give them feedback and tell them in the second week. Uh, and I give them assignments with no structure to it whatsoever uh, in terms of they have to do a report and write it up. They do a draft, and I do give them feedback. But, I mean, the looks on some of their faces are just horrified at setting their own goals and, uh, you know, setting their own structure for how they're going to report back on the, the practical activities that they do. But it is that idea of trying to encourage them to be, to be active instead of just you're given assignments, you do the assignments, you complete the course, you get a decent grade, you move on to the next class. So that idea of the kind of individual sense of being able to be active, I think that that's, I think that's really key. And you know, versus the, the climate that you might have in, say, Montreal, where there's a, a history of people having protests and doing things like that, and then it working, um, being able to have changed the government's mind. So um, I guess we're, we have a steeper road to go up. But. Sorry, Terry. I just had one, one example. So I, I just taught a course, uh, this is for the fourth time, on the topic of genocide. Um, I didn't ask students to do this, but we have an online discussion board, so they can continue, much like you do for the SACPA website. Uh, stu one student began a conversation saying, well, describe your experience in this course. So, um, and I was very happy to see her do that, and, and what I heard was wonderful, actually. So here's one student who just at the end of his comment says, my thinking has changed, and the knowledge I have gained has brought me to a higher plane where I know enough to teach others correct information so we can band together and stand for what we know is morally right. I look forward to furthering my ability to make informed decisions in the future and in some small way make a difference. Yes. Uh, Terry Shellington, uh, thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, I, uh, at issue for me is not the, the vision about education that you're sharing. I passionately share it with you. My question is, uh, I think, a hard one. Are we winning or losing uh, in this, in this uh, battle? I have the impression that we're losing, Bruce and, and Josie, that, that um, uh, there's tremendous uh, uh, pressures on the university uh, community. Uh, there's the job agenda of students and their parents there's the corporate agenda and the increasing corporate funding of research and so on. And uh, my question to you is, so I have the impression that, that uh, just as SACPA is kind of a lonely community within a very arch-conservative culture of southern Alberta, I wonder if the liberal arts vision of the university is not also a lonely prophetic little group off in the corner here. And I wonder, compared to 10 or 20 years ago, uh, are we winning or losing in this battle to stretch minds rather than uh, be a job factory? Uh, I would say both. Um, so it's kind of like the one thing that, I mean, I look at is, well, the, 
the food series that we did last year, uh, it happened to be kind of either excellent or appalling timing. So right in last August when I was having to plan uh, the issues around that we were going to be doing various things with food. So for the Dota Lab group, we had to order the ingredients for the pizza. Uh, and food services had a complete meltdown, the corporate contract that's there, where essentially almost the entire staff, all the senior staff, was either fired or quit. So right when I was trying to work with it, this whole big change happened. And then in the last year, as the Sodexo's 30-year monopoly, repeated monopoly contract expires, uh, the, the, there's been a massive new process for actually considering what we want, and it's truly been opened up to uh, new bidders. And they're looking at things like food being sustainable, uh, local, uh, you know, healthy, uh, culturally diverse. I mean, we've attracted all these Muslim students. What do we have to feed them that's not pork? Um, so the, there's actually been like a major attention, and we can't say that we caused it, but we think that we helped uh, open up the discussion and help people feel like they could be empowered to actually um, do something about the appalling food on campus. Um, so, I mean, I look at things like that, uh, that I think there is something positive that's going on. And you can't put your finger on it and definitely say this caused this and then this. And, and one of the people that, that we're really excited about, Rebecca Solnit, who does super interesting work, uh, I mean, she talks about this, this fact that you, you do kind of little tiny acts that you never actually see their effect, and it's only in hindsight over, over years um, that you can see that it's actually had an effect. And you can't necessarily say that, that you're, you know, one causal factor in it, but the, the idea of that kind of being willing to be positive and keep going, uh, there, there does seem to be a connection, but that makes it worthwhile. Thanks, Terry. I um, uh, personally, I find myself to be kind of a, um, a naive optimist, and that seems to work best. Um, I used to get really annoyed uh, and angry with students uh, who kind of didn't get, didn't seem to want to get the kinds of things I was saying, and trying to get them to think about. Like Josie said, they, they're well-schooled in being very passive, and they were annoyed when I was asking them to not be passive. Um, but I've come now to better understand that they're, um, they're in a learning curve, and they're going through a process of change, and the change is difficult, and that's why they're resisting it. So um, by maintaining <laughs> a positive demeanor and trying to think of ways to encourage small steps to start with that, as Josie said, that one small step with a single student, who knows where it will lead. And so if I kind of keep that in the back of my head, I don't get too depressed about the environment that we live in. And the fact that this island is here, the fact that the university is there, the fact that, you know, uh, we've made huge gains in the past 30, 40 years, gender equity, community diversity, all sorts of really good things, well, let's, you know, emphasize the positive. Thanks. Um, my predecessors are pretty well asked the same question I was going to ask you. Terry had a dandy there. But uh, it, bothers you, it bothers me uh, personally because I just have an incident 
in my family tree right now. My grandson is sick in, in the hospital. John is up to his hairline, totally worried because his parents had to go to mortgage their home just to keep him going. Locally, your local paper just said one student's going $60,000 in red. You're trying to te teach him this advanced ideology, all right? Where are we really going? Where are we really going when they see that 23% governments are telling us what to do, putting through 70, 80 unnecessary laws in Parliament? Uh, they're, they're revolting all over the world trying to get democracy, and we're going the other way. No proportionate election, what, what we're saying, okay? We're, how, where, I wrote an article to three newspapers. What is the matter with students around the world? The students would bust the skies open. They're not waiting for the religious thing. Okay, let them slap you around. You're going to get your pie when you die, okay? So what, wh where are we going with edu education? Corporate donations are 100% write-off. for the, the banks are making billions of dollars. What education are we telling them? Where, do, where are we going to head? We had political scientists, politicians. We asked, what are we getting out of our resources? And they refused to answer. So, so where's the direction for parents to send their kids, go in the hole, $60,000, $80,000 to get an education? And that's rising annually. Okay, where's the goal? Where's the compass for the future of our children? Yeah. And... Thanks. And, and you know what's worse at the university as well, I think for the senior administration, they have to play this game as well of um, saying the right things to the provincial government and, to the fe and federally in order to get the dollars to run the place, right? So, it, it, um, you know, I'm not in those higher management levels. So, uh, you know, what I can do is at the classroom level with individual students um, try to move them from this state of passive acceptance to through learning the tools to begin to question, learning the tools to think critically, learning the tools to work collaboratively with others, to raise issues, um, and hope, I guess it's all I can do at this stage, hope that one of them or some of them will have the sparks that, you know, later on they'll be concerned uh, to take action. And, you know, I, I use the Quebec students as an example all the time. Um, in other cases, the Arab Spring uh, is another one, right? The, but the issue is for student, many of these students have, have been uh, taught or they've learned through their schooling to be very passive. And they also are concerned about the dollar amount. And they only see the equation of dollars spent on education uh, eventually being paid off by dollars earned in a job. So investment in education, return through job is the main um, equation in their mind. So it, it's, um, it it's takes some work to get them to move beyond that and to see, in fact, that you know being able to ask questions, criti think critically, is actually very important for employers and is going to generate more income for you later on down the line. Um, I think, I mean, 
for my entire working life, things have been super crappy uh, financially. So, I mean, basically, I finished my undergrad right when Mulroney was prime minister, and there were the massive cuts to education, health, the arts, social safety net. So by then, I was thinking that I wanted to be a curator and work in the arts and had finished an art history degree, not the world's most useful degree. And uh, it looked such doom and gloom. And the thing that I've always said is that it basically set me free. There was no point in me doing this speci specific master's or this particular training because it would get me a job, because nothing was going to guarantee to get me a job. So I did an MA in women's studies and uh, looked at feminist film theory, because that was what I really, really wanted to do. Worked out fine for me in terms of employment. Uh, but also, I mean, working in art galleries, I mean, you, Bruce said as a naive optimist, you have to be just ludicrously optimistic to run an art gallery. Uh, because one's perpetually under attack. Like, what's the point of it? Why is this used? Huh? Waste of taxpayer dollars. Everyone, anyone can paint a stripy painting. You know, all of that kind of stuff has been going on now for a couple of decades, and yet we're still here. We're incredibly successful. Uh, art galleries are very good at doing, you know, partnerships, community engagement, things like that. Unfortunately, people don't know it as well as those of us who work in the arts. But I think the thing is that um, the the kind of pressures does allow one to be able to be freer in terms of decisions that one can make. I mean, certainly that's been my case. And also, I think, uh, just kind of back to a couple of questions ago in terms of the university, I think there is a, and not just at the University of Lethbridge, but at other universities as well, to come back to embracing the idea of being places that support critical thinking, because why are they different from technical schools and things like that? And there are tons of studies, like the Forbes article, but there's tons more that demonstrate long-term uh, both keeping employment and income related to, because very few people get training and then just stay in that job for their whole life. And even if they do, they would end up needing retraining. So say if they were a computer programmer or something like that. Whereas having that more liberal education gives you the ability to be flexible and the ability to change and to adapt. And uh, a big part of what we're looking at in the complex social change and the, the Dota Lab group that will be working with us is the importance of the ability to be able to be flexible and to adapt. And that's an enormously important and very difficult kind of skill to have. So. We'll just take one more question here as we're past time. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, my name is Carol Sakia, and I'm a product of local public school education and some U of L uh, back when it was uh, more liberal arts, I think, than it might be now. But anyway, <coughs> I just wanted to make a point that the um, public school education, so up to grade 12, has taken a lot of hit here. And um, I don't think that's completely fair. Half of that should go to parenting. You know, I did go to school every day because that's what we did in, in my day. But I also had a uh, family at home. And that was at least half of my education. And uh, I'd like to think I'm a, I have an inquiring mind <laughs> most of the time, some of the time. But I just think parenting, we're not talking about parenting. A lot of people talk about, well, you know, that should be left up to the family. Families don't do it. My family did it, thank God, but it's because probably, in part, the hardship they went through as parents and grandparents. But uh, I've got nieces and nephews now, and 
it's not getting done. We're not creating the activists that uh, we were 20 years ago. So I just wanted to make a more campaign thing. So and then, you know, there are a lot of grandparents in this room, so hopefully they're doing bits if they see that their grandchildren need some opening up of the mind. So just to kind of follow on from what you're saying, I think it underlies the, the, the idea that education is not a, uh, a solo thing. It's a community thing. It's a community effort that involves, uh, very rightly, as you say, families as well as professional teachers and semi-professional teachers. And, um, and if we don't sort of see that gr grander vision of a public good um, that... Um, I think we missed that other part. And perhaps, you know, over the no last number of years, there's been too much emphasis on private good and, and private success and not enough on, on public service and, and doing things for the good of, the, of everyone, not just yourself. Um, so, yeah, that's, we can start to all work on that. Thanks very much. Thanks again to Bruce McKay and Josephine Mills, and let's all take a lesson from today's talk and continue the conversation on the SACPAW website. Thank you.